I'm Aaron Reynolds, and you're listening to Explain Like I'm Five on the 2020 Network. Did you know that you can now pay with Interact Debit on your mobile or wearable device? Visit interact.ca for more info. I like to think that I'm an intelligent guy, but I know more about Governor Tarkin than I do about the Governor General. And that's why I'm inviting really smart people into the studio to explain things to me like I'm five. I have with me today Phil Lagasse, associate professor at Carleton and expert on the Westminster governmental system. Thank you so much for for joining me today. My pleasure. I have a lot of questions about the Governor General. And I feel like to understand the Governor General, uh, we need to understand Canada's relationship with the Queen. What what is Canada's relationship with the Queen? I mean, she's on our money. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, when we call heads, we're hoping that the Queen comes up. Right. But aside from that, what is what is her relationship to Canada right now? Okay, so Queen Elizabeth II is uh, the Queen of Canada, and uh, what that means is that she is the sovereign of the country. Uh, so she holds the highest office in the country. Um, it is really the pinnacle of the Canadian state. And it actually is even more complicated than that because at common law, so the law that governs uh, most of the country outside of the Constitution or whatnot, um, the Queen is the personification of the state. So as you'll see, whenever you sign a contract with the government of Canada, you're actually signing it with a legal person. And that legal person is Her Majesty in Right of Canada. If you're signing signing it with a province, you're signing it with Her Majesty, let's say, in Right of Ontario. So she serves this role of not only being the pinnacle of the state, so that head of state function that we say, but also the personification of the state. Um, And also all uh, entities of the state... uh, relate to the crown and to the queen in some way. So parliament, for instance, contains the queen, the House of Commons, and the Senate. Uh, the executive in Canada is um, the queen's privy council for Canada. Uh, and therefore, all executive decisions are made effectively in her name. Uh, and similarly, as the Constitution Act 1867 specifies, she is the executive power. Uh, which also means, incidentally, that the executive can act like a natural person, which means that they can sometimes do things that anything that the law doesn't prevent them from doing. I digress. Okay, Similarly, but, but, and the okay. last one, just let me do the last okay. one, and then yeah. there's the queen in the courts. But it's a very simple answer. She's the personification of the state, but what we usually associate her with is head of state, uh, and therefore, because she is non-resident, uh, she has a representative, and that representative is, is the, governor uh, general. the governor general. So she is at, at the very top of everything in terms of government. Uh, in terms of the state, so like, even even beyond government itself, right? Because, okay. uh, for instance, she is part of parliament, and technically the courts are hers as well. Okay. Uh, and therefore, and even the idea of the Canadian state uh, at common law is that of the queen. Right. So yeah. if at some point she decided she wanted to make a change, that would be her prerogative to do. No, I mean, this is the thing. She acts within the boundaries of constitutional conventions, and she acts within the boundaries of the Constitution. And really, um, anything that we would want to do to her, right, then falls within uh, the unanimous constitutional amending format. It's uh, paragraph 41A of the Constitution Act 1982. If you want to make any changes to the office of the Queen, the Governor General, or the Lieutenant Governors, requires uh, the consent of all the provinces and uh, the, the two houses of Parliament. Okay, got it. Right. <laughs> That's complex. It is. Uh, uh, and how did how did we get to this place? 
Well, basically, we've uh, Canada has always been a monarchy. Uh, so New France was under uh, the the French king, and then subsequently, uh, following the uh, the conquest, uh, British North America was, as you might imagine, a colony of uh, the British Empire, um, and that's even explains the origins of the governor general. Those colonies had governors, so okay. uh, it is again the oldest office, the oldest governing office uh, in Canada. Uh, and then subsequently, uh, at Confederation, it was decided that there would be lieutenant governors for all uh, the provinces and that there would be a governor general uh, for uh, Canada, the, the, the unified state. Uh, and over time, that office evolved more. So the codified constitution of 1867 delegates certain specific authorities to the governor general and to the queen and to the lieutenant governors. And beginning uh, later, there were things called called letters patent and what those are is the queen giving certain authorities to the governor general so the latest ones the letters patent of 1947 effectively empower the governor general to act in almost all capacities for the queen um, and therefore she, the governor general is for all intents and purposes uh, able to exercise almost all the powers of the queen some would argue except for two okay um, and that really narrows the scope of what the queen actually does in canada most of the rest of the time it's her representative that, that right. does it, governor general what, what are the two so the appointment and dismissal of a governor general as okay. you might imagine that's, that's a con and that's it's actually the governor general shouldn't do yeah yeah and it's a yeah. bit controversial actually because some people say well technically if the letters patent 1947 says that all the powers of the queen are delegated to the governor general could a governor general appoint his or her own successor uh I don't think so because that defeats the purpose, right. right? You'd be able to have somebody who would basically stay there for life. And there's a reason, as we've seen, there's controversy around governors general. And there may be occasions when, you know, you might want to get rid of one. We just had uh, in recent years, for instance, a lieutenant governor in Quebec that was found to be misusing public funds, went to prison. Um, unlike a monarch, which is kind of encased in a lifetime of training and uh, not really allowed to do anything that would get them in too much trouble. Right. Governors yep. general are actually people before they're named, and so you have to watch out for that. Uh, and then the other one is Section 26 of the Constitution Act 1867, which allows for the appointment of additional senators. Uh, and this is a two-key system, if you read the text. Uh, you have the governor general has to agree to it, and then you have the queen that has to agree to it as well. Uh, and it would seem odd to me to say that the governor general could therefore act contrary to the specific uh, provisions of that text. Uh, and that was used during uh, the GST debate, I believe, under uh, the Mulroney government to add additional senators to make sure that passed. Interesting. Um, yeah. And then the Queen also approves honors and other things like that. But basically, con in terms of constitutional powers, those are, that's where the Queen acts. Okay. So – just so that I sort of like have the, the the real broad strokes of the history of it straight. Back before Canada was its own entity, back while it was still controlled by the United Kingdom, mm -hmm. is that, um, there were governors for the individual provinces and a governor general to sort of like look after the country. Right. So we were a self-governing dominion, which right. meant that in terms of our internal affairs, provided that our laws didn't go contrary to laws passed by the British Parliament, we kind of did our own thing. Right. Um, as long as they thought everything was still going according to stuff that aligned with their values, we were we were allowed to do our own stuff. Right. Okay. And, and then subsequently, over time, a number of things happened. So... 
1926, we effectively took over our international affairs. Yep. Uh, by 1931, we took over our legislative affairs as well because uh, as per the Statute of Westminster 1931, the British Parliament couldn't legislate for Canada without Canada's request and consent. So that effectively gave us de facto independence. Uh, then in the Second World War, the, uh, the king declared war for us a week after declaring war for a little bit more than a week after declaring war for the United Kingdom. So Canada was technically not at war when the UK was. So that really created the, the sense of an independent Canadian right. monarch. Okay. And then finally, into, this, into the 50s, we decided no longer to have British aristocrats. Uh, and members of the royal family as governors general. From that point on, we decided to have Canadian citizens. Oh, interesting. So yeah. that's that's a relatively recent development. It is. And if you go on the Rita Hall website, they say that that's a requirement. I don't know of any law that says that that's the case now that it has to be Canadian citizens. I think that's just a custom and a practice we've adopted, mm-hmm. uh, which is why you know, you'll know you have Tristan Hopper over at National Post who's always creating trouble on these questions <laughs> saying that you could have Prince Harry, which is in law true. I mean, okay. there's nothing yeah, that would yeah. prevent you from doing he could come and be the governor general. Technically, yeah. yeah. Uh, I mean, the question is, would he want to? Probably not. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> that's. I want to actually get into the 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 question of what a governor general does. But I was just thinking about it. Do other countries have a governor general? Yes. So New Zealand has one. Um, I, all the realms have one, basically. Okay. So uh, aside that, from the United Kingdom. Okay. Uh, so there's you know 16 of them. Um, and aside from the United Kingdom, obviously, where the Queen is resident, but uh, all the other realms have governors general. And then similarly, uh, all certain subnational entities, such as the Australian states, have uh, governors like we have lieutenant governors for the province. Okay, well. okay. And uh, do they do they function about the same everywhere? Like that uh, there is a representative of the Queen in places that have sort of stepped away from being directly controlled by the Queen? Yes. I mean, the the, the key thing to bear in mind is it varies a little bit, but most of these states that have attained independence have the queen as their head of state or as their monarch in a capacity separate from the capacity as queen of the United Kingdom. And that's pretty essential in order to allow those states to uh, work together on an, in an international setting. So again, for instance, if getting back to 1939, it's important to make the distinction between the monarch of the United Kingdom and monarch of Canada when they're declaring a war. Similarly, when they're right. signing treaties with one another, it's kind of important to make that distinction. Uh, but not- so that, Actually, that's quite interesting. I, I was So she, the Queen Elizabeth is the queen of Canada separately from being the queen of each of these other places. Yes, it, there was actually a landmark ruling from the English Court of Appeal in 1981 when we were patriating the Constitution. Um, First Nations in Alberta brought the case forward saying that uh, the Constitution shouldn't be patriated because they hadn't been properly consulted and it went, it went against uh, their treaty rights. And what the English Court of Appeal found, uh, and I'm quoting almost verbatim here because I cite it all the time, but it may not be exact, is that the the, the uh, Queen of the United Kingdom uh, is separate and distinct from the Queen of Canada in all matters of law and government. So it's, uh, it's important to make that distinction. And the reason they did so was to be able to claim, as you might imagine from a UK perspective, that they no longer had any, the Queen of the United Kingdom no longer had any treaty responsibilities vis-a-vis First Nations and Alberta. Right. That now okay. fell to the, to the Queen, Queen of Canada. Canada. Okay, who is, while the same person legally defined as a different person, or? Yes, okay. so the, the legal personality that is the Queen of Canada is separate and distinct from the legal personality that is the Queen of the United Kingdom, um, and 
Elizabeth, in her natural capacity, holds both offices, basically. Right. Is the best way to think of it. Right. And I think that just for clarity, I mean, it's, I think this is a hard, this is a hard concept to make clear. But uh, for clarity, that the person who succeeds Queen Elizabeth will also then be succeeding as queen uh, or king or queen or monarch of Canada and of New Zealand and of everywhere else. Yes, so, and okay. it's actually – here's an interesting distinction. Whereas Australia and New Zealand passed their own laws and changed the law of succession in their own law to make that happen, we argue that we don't need to do that. Cynics among us say that the Canadian government came to that conclusion simply to avoid the amending formula. <laughs> okay. Um, and I have – I've written a lot about this. It's a concept near and dear to my heart. But yes, even though the government makes that claim, what they're, they're saying they're distinct offices, but that we simply allow the UK, we simply follow UK law and royal succession. But, okay. And then just to add an extra layer to this, it's important to realize that the office of Queen Monarch is always the same person in law, no matter who holds the office. So that's what we mean by the idea that the king never dies. So the Queen right. of Canada is – we don't need to change the constitution once we have a king because the references in law to the queen and in the constitution to immediately the queen become immediately the refer person. to the next person. Okay, okay. And that uh, – the thing you were talking about before, the, uh, the them not wanting to make a, an amendment, what was is it – really complex or is it uh well those of us who argue that if you look at precedent so in 1936 uh canada did request and consent that the british parliament make changes in canadian law to the royal succession and the argument being that if you kind of follow that logic over time it would probably touch on the office of the queen so a number of us say in the constitution clearly the office must refer to the to the rules that decide who holds the office Okay, And the federal government, for a number of reasons, doesn't want to go there because that would require getting the consent of all the provinces to change royal succession. Right. And okay. And if you try to – okay. Whereas in Australia and New Zealand, they kind of took care of this in the 80s. They kind of presaged this. We were too busy getting a charter of rights and freedoms. Okay. That makes sense. All right. So let's get to the nuts and bolts of what does the governor general do? Sure. What what does their day look like? Uh, A lot of it is – Let's break it down to three things. So constitutional functions. So that will be things like signing orders in council, uh, signing other documents that uh, are pertain to the constitutional function, uh, granting royal assent, um, meeting ambassadors and that kind of thing. Uh, on occasion, meeting with ministers. So exercising their right to encourage, warn, and advise the government on policy questions. Not every governor general does that, but they can. Then you have the ceremonial slash honors role. So that means uh, handing out uh, medals to members of the military, handing out other forms of honors. The Order of Canada, for example, is another another good one. Uh, so that occupies quite a bit of time. And then there's the third one, which is the uh, head of nation function. So separate from the head of state function is the head of nation function. And that's the one where uh, the queen and the governor general as the crown or representatives, embodiments of the crown, are supposed to reflect Canadians back unto themselves. So they're kind of there in an apolitical, nonpartisan capacity to be there at significant events. Uh, So, for instance, funerals, uh, tragedies. Uh, remembrance ceremonies, 
um, and all those uh, seeing different parts of the country, taking part in the daily life of Canadians and making them feel that the nation appreciates their efforts and recognizes what they do. Uh, and that's where, with the current governor general, there's been tension. Because how far does that head of nation role extend? Does it mean you have to meet all the commitments that your predecessors made in terms of being the patron for a charity, uh, attending various events, um, you know, uh, taking all the, the functions and, and commitments that have been made in the past and making them part of your daily routine. And what I suspect we're seeing now is a little bit of pushback on the part of the current governor general in terms of the scope of those engagements. Okay. I want to ask about royal assent. Is that when we're talking about uh, something, a bill becoming law? Is that the, the putting the stamp on it and saying, yes, the queen is cool with this? Is that Right. That's the that final is? stage. Okay. So once it's passed both houses of parliament, then uh, the, the crown and the queen's or the queen's uh, assent has to be given for it to, to become law. Now, that's a function that the governor general can do, but they can also delegate it to some of their deputies. So you'll okay. have the odd situation where you have Supreme Court justices granting royal assent to law. And that, just for the constitutional nerds out there, that creates a bit of difficulty sometimes because we there is one instance of, of a Supreme Court justice that bucked at that and didn't want to sign a particular bill because she felt that what happens if this bill comes before the Supreme Court, I will have signed it. Right. So there's okay. – I mean, but we still – generally, it's seen as non-controversial, but it doesn't necessarily have to be the governor general at all times. Similarly, uh, when it comes to a lot of executive decisions that have to be signed, so orders in council and things like that, the governor general can delegate that to uh, her secretary. Um, so the, there is some maneuverability in the system so that the governor general can do some of these other roles and still cover over the constitutional functions as well. Does the governor general end up talking to the queen about decisions? Uh, they can. It, we would never really know about it. Okay. But if very difficult decisions come up, then yes, there can be situations where Rideau Hall would communicate with Buckingham Palace uh, about certain matters. Um, However, increasingly, uh, there's enough Canadian expertise on precedence and how to act that it's probably superfluous, um, and the Canadian context matters quite a bit. But there can be occasions where, yes, the the conversation might be had, uh, it, and the Queen does take an active interest in all her realms, and therefore she may in, even initiate some contact okay. on certain issues. She might call up and say, hey, I wanted to have a chat about this thing. Well, just catching up, seeing what's going on. You know, uh, Again, we're not really fully privy to this, but I, I would assume even, let's say, prior to uh, a royal visit or uh, things to that effect when somebody's mm. term is coming to an end or it's begun, as we see, almost every new governor general goes and visits the queen. Presumably they talk about the role, they talk about her, her uh, expectations of what she sees for the office and so on and so forth. Um, it's really at the prime minister's discretion whether or not they meet with the governor general on a regular basis. Um, they can if they so choose, but they're not required to. Okay. And you mentioned Rideau Hall. That's is that the the place they work out of? Is that the residence? Is that what's what is it? Well, Rideau Hall is both a residence and an office for all intents and purposes. It uh, that's where a lot of the work is done of the secretary of the governor general. It's where most of the uh, ceremonies are held for the swearing in of cabinet for the bestowing of, of honors. So it's both a, a working space and a residential space. Okay. And as we see, it has a number of we, when we think of Rita Hall, we think of the main building, but uh, there's the gate, there's the cottage. 
uh, where the prime minister is currently residing. So there are other buildings there uh, as well that, that serve different different functions. I feel like there's a whole episode that we have to do on the architecture of our government buildings. <laughs> they're, they're big and complex and there's lots of them. Indeed. Yeah. What makes for a, a good governor general? Is there a governor general that we can point to and say, like, this was the best governor general that Canada has had? Well, I think it depends on which of the uh, which aspects you want to emphasize. So in terms of if you're looking for somebody who's just really good on the constitutional propriety and sticking to their functions and then kind of dutifully filling out all the um, the roles of the head of nation function and the ceremonial, you know, just kind of filling all the boxes. I think David Johnson kind of fits that bill the, the, as the best that we had in recent times. When you, you flip it on its head, though, and you say, okay, well, if, if the purpose of the governor general is to reflect Canadians unto themselves in the right. head of nation role, uh, I think there's a number of people who say, you know, maybe it's – having an old white man as the and i don't mean that in kind of a denigrative form it's just a fact uh is that really who we want representing canada reflecting back onto us as kind of the exemplary uh person and then you can make the say the, the claim well you know in a more representative role in that sense uh you could point to adrian clarkson or michael jean as maybe representing a wider understanding of what canada is and was um, so it really depends on what you want to point to in terms of that head of nation role. Right. Uh, who sh- who should personify Canada? Right. Right. In that sense. Uh, but leaving that aside, I think when you kind of wrap it all together in terms of who was willing to really go the furthest and had the f- fewest controversies around them, probably uh, David Johnson. Okay. Yeah. Um, I really like that question of like who should personify Canada. Um, that's a hard question. So how does how how is a governor general chosen? Well, in the past, so the Harper government set up a committee very much that, uh, like the current Senate Appointments Committee, it was called the Vice Regal Appointments uh, Committee. And this uh, was a group of three permanent members who were kind of ardent monarchists and understood the, the system fairly well, and then representatives of the different jurisdictions of who was being chosen. So it, under Harper, this system was used uh, to select Vice Regal officers. Um, that was abandoned by the Liberals, and uh, even though they modeled their Senate Appointments Committee on the Vice Regal Committee, they decided to, to move away from uh, from the Vice Regal Appointments Committee for in, for their government, uh, and they've moved towards more uh, more partisan appointments. Let's be blunt. I mean, uh, Judy Foote, uh, for instance, the Lieutenant Governor of Newfoundland, was had just been a cabinet minister before she was appointed. Right. So that's a fairly you know partisan appointment. Uh, Notwithstanding her suitability for the role, it's still moving away from the effort that Harper made to make it more uh, nonpartisan. Um, but when it comes to most other selections, as we're seeing, a lot of times it's who who's out there that um, is what the image that you want to give, right? Right. Uh, and I think that explains, for instance, uh, Adrian Clarkson and Michael Jean. Uh, you know, getting back to this head of nation role, who do we think would be the the person that we want to personify Canada at this moment weighs heavily on governments? Uh, what it is, what signal and message they want to send about what Canada is at this present moment in time and where we're going? Uh, and by the same token, my understanding of it is that uh, the Trudeau government had made a really strong effort to try and find a First Nations uh, candidate to be governor general to, right. to make that message ultimately 
they they ended up uh, selecting Madame Payette, uh, from what I understand, in fairly short order. Okay. Um, what is the term for a governor general? How long does the governor general serve? Uh, it's at pleasure. So what okay. that means is effectively it's up to the queen, but in reality that means upon the advice of the prime minister. Uh, typically we say five years, but as we saw with David Johnson, it can go longer if need be. Mm-hmm. And so was he, did he remain in the role just because he was uh, performing well and because he was still having a good time at it, or was it? No, I think uh, Prime Minister Harper made the the decision that when you you read the tea leaves around the five-year mark with the election coming up, that the possibility of a minority government, and as we're seeing in New Brunswick, and as we saw in BC recently, uh, governors general can be called upon to make some important constitutional decision around government formation. So the decision was made, my understanding is that uh, Prime Minister Harper decided to ask Governor General Johnson to stay in office until the election was over, just in case it yielded a, a minority situation. Okay. Well, um, much like the term of the Governor General, the uh, duration of this show is at our pleasure. Uh, so, <laughs> so thank you so much for joining us today. If people were looking to find you on the internet, where would they find you? Uh, com. Awesome. Thank you again. Thank you. You're listening to the 2020 Network presented by Interact. Use Interact Flash to pay conveniently and securely at hundreds of thousands of merchants across Canada. Learn more at interact.ca. Interact.ca.